Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Today we're talking to Vigo Mortensen, the star of the movie Captain Fantastic. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. My guest today is actor Vigo Mortensen. He is the star of the new movie Captain Fantastic. Vigo, thanks for talking to us today. Well, thank you for making time for me. Hey, so in this new movie, Captain Fantastic, you play a character that goes off the grid to raise his family and then is sort of pulled back into society. And you had sort of an interesting upbringing as well, sort of an unconventional one where you were born in New York and kind of raised around the world. How much of your own past did you see in this character? Um, well, I mean, yes, he does. The father in this story <clears throat> has six kids and they all have learned from him and from their mother to speak many languages, to read widely and and to demand of themselves individually and collectively, you know, excellence physically, mentally, in every way. I mean, it's a bit extreme. I, I guess it would be in a, a case of extreme conscientious parenting. But as for personal references, yes, I grew up with more than one language and in a sort of multi multicultural setting and moved around a lot, which I think you find that sort of itinerant upbringing for actors and directors and people that work in the theater and movies is, it happens a lot. I think maybe you, your fantasy life or your, your imagination is a little different if you've moved around a lot as a kid, maybe certainly if you've been exposed to other cultures and you maybe unconsciously or subconsciously want to, want to um, continue that as an adult. I, I'm not sure, but I, I've always enjoyed learning about other cultures and languages and so forth. So there's that aspect of it, and I, and I guess uh, part of my life I've lived in in the woods, literally, and, and I lived for a time in uh, the inland northwest, nor- northern Idaho, in a forest, but I didn't live in a teepee, and I didn't live in the extreme way that this family does. So there were certain elements that were familiar and, and maybe uh, some tools I already had in part uh, for this role, but there were other things that were quite foreign to me and that I had to get used to, just like the kids that were cast as my my children did. So if we took you and dropped you off in the wild somewhere, how long could you last? I mean, could you skin things? Could you start a fire? I could probably get along, if, if I, depending on where I was, if I wasn't eaten by something or, you know, I could, yes, I could make a fire and I could probably find food and depending on how long I was there, I could learn to harvest things and grow things and find things to eat, and I could build a shelter. And I could probably do okay, you know, I think. Now, um, this, uh, this this film is set in the Pacific Northwest, and you, you shot it in in western Washington, correct? Yeah, we did. In, uh, in different parts, the, the, the camp you see at the beginning where we live off the grid, you know, way in the forest, that was in um, central western Washington, and then we also shot in northern Washington. We shot all over Washington, some different forests and mountain landscapes. And then we shot in New Mexico as well. <laughs> in eastern Washington as well, actually. And now your character has this great interplay with your family, the six kids. Most of them are sort of new to film. What was it like being with these young actors out there in Washington State 
in this kind of boot camp, wilderness camp as you prepared to shoot this film? Well, that was a great experience for all of us, especially the way we were guided by Matt Ross, the writer-director. He he made a point of not only casting, fortunately, really good young actors, but um, but we also had a sort of a boot camp where we um, <coughs> did a lot of activities together. You know, the rock climbing, the the uh, you know learning to love light fires, build shelters. Uh, the girls, the older girls, had to learn how to um, dress out a animal, a deer, and 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 the movie. And so they had to learn to gut animals and skin them and all this. And there were a lot of extreme things. We played a lot of music together, which was a good way to bond. So by the time we got around to the first day, we were really uh, in tune as a as a as a group, you know, so it wasn't hard to imagine that we were a family because we felt like one already a little bit. And I have to say that the kids, if it wasn't, I mean, the movies would have been a good movie no matter what because the script is extraordinary. It's a really beautiful story. But as I said to the director when I first met him, I said, this is a great script, but to make a great movie, you're going to have to find six genius, you know, great athletes uh, and little kids who are capable of expressing complex ideas, you know, about philosophy and science, all kinds of things, and sound like they really know what they're talking about, and that's that's a tall order to, to find six. You might find two or three out of six, but six out of six is going to be tough. But if you don't, you're not going to turn this great script into a truly great movie. Fortunately, he found six amazing young actors, and, and uh, I, I think they're so good and so engaging that I think it'll make, it'll, it'll, this movie will help it seem cool to be intellectually engaged as a child, you know. You won't seem like a nerd or a total, being an outsider or thinking for yourself, expressing yourself, I think is really made to seem uh, a positive thing in this story, you know. And as, as unusual and impressive as the knowledge that the six children in the movie exhibit is is the passion with which they seek it, you know, and the passion for each other, uh, the engagement with nature, um, the unflinching way of looking at and discussing life and death. I mean, it's just on so many levels. It's such a it's a it's a, an amazing group of children. Yeah, and you mentioned that it was directed by Matt Ross, who also wrote the script. A lot of people may know Matt Ross from watching Silicon Valley. He plays Gavin Belson yeah. on the show. Uh, what's it like and having big, big Love? He was also in, and he's done a lot of. He's been in a lot of movies. He's the kind of person that if you run into him in an airport or somewhere, walking down the street, you'd look at him and go, "Oh, I know this guy. Where do I know him from?" Because he's really disappears into his roles and does. And he's a really good actor. When I first met him. You know, talk about the script. We, I'd read the script and said, "Sure, I'd love to meet you." You know, he was interested in me playing the part of Ben. So we met for a cup of coffee, which lasted about four and a half hours because we had so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about with regard to the script and being dads and everything else. Uh, but when I first, when he walked into the diner, I stood up and I looked at him and I said, "Oh, I know you." And he sort of laughed. He goes, oh, "I know you too." I just realized, "Oh, I know this guy's face." Um, he's a fine actor. That probably helped him. I mean, not all actors are are necessarily going to be good directors. It depends what kind of actor you are. But if you're the kind of actor Matt is, which is uh, means uh, that you're interested in other actors and and the process of of 
of the actor in general, no matter what it is, then you're going to be a team player and you're going to help inspire, you know, the actors under you as a director. I, you know, I've worked with some actors who maybe weren't as collective-minded and or team team players as much, and so they weren't. It wouldn't matter if they were an actor or not, as far as their directing style. But for Matt, it was a plus because of the type of actor he is. He really helped us relax and and get the most out of our characters individually and and as a group. Well, you anticipated my question, which was what an actor brings to directing. But I want to ask you what you brought to the script, because I understand that, as you just mentioned, he showed you the script and you had some notes on it. What thoughts did you input into the script to help bring it to a different place? Well, actually, very little. It was minor details because the story is, was great to begin with, and the, the, the script I first read is, is basically what you see on screen. But I was just double-checking with him. There was a couple, of, you know, fine-tuning some things. And some of them, actually, my son read the script as well, and he writes really well, and he's very thoughtful. And he had a couple of things that I, I missed as well, just little details about the correct, since there's a lot of scientific terminology in the script, um, you know, not a lot, but there's certain details, you know, very exacting <clears throat> details, and we wanted to make sure that everything was right. And even when we're talking about sex, when I talk with the youngest kid, there's there's a pretty funny scene where he's asking, you know, what is rape and what is sexual intercourse and so forth. And as usual, the character I play, he, the father is very blunt. He's just very direct with all his kids no matter what the subject, whether it's sex or death or anything else. And we just want to make sure that all the details were right. And those things, that was really it. And just other things were in the process because my, because Matt is open to collaboration from his crew and his cast. It was just little things that we fine-tuned along the way. Some things just establishing the, the place where the movie starts out, you know, living in the woods. It was a... Uh, I helped with putting in the garden and just making it seem... I mean, Matt's goal was to make it as real as possible, as credible, you know, that they that it was self-sustaining, that sanitation, food source, uh, everything was believable because the more believable that off-the-grid existence was, the better it would contrast sometimes humorously with, with the way other people live that we encounter in the story. Well, the movie is Captain Fantastic. We're talking to star Viggo Mortensen. We'll be right back with a little bit more about Captain Fantastic. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, WSJ Speakeasy. Your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. This is Christopher John Farley, senior editor at the Wall Street Journal, talking to Viggo Mortensen. He's the star of the new movie, Captain Fantastic. One thing I found really interesting about this movie, Captain Fantastic, is there's a lot of references to books and literature strung throughout the movie. You're someone who throughout your career has really shown a love of literature and of books, and you've published poetry. You founded your own publishing house, Percival Press. Uh, where does your love of books come from? Um, I suppose from my 
my parents, my mother in particular, whether it was books or, or movies, she was someone who always, uh, um, I don't know, she introduced me to a lot of that. But I think it's just everybody's different. I mean, that was your your personal likes and dislikes, your aptitude for certain things. You know, I had, I can remember a certain school teacher when I was, say, seven, six, seven, who was, uh, who inspired me a lot in terms of literature, English literature, North American literature, um, Spanish literature. And I started reading, I think, pretty advanced books at an early age. And I always liked history, mythology, things like that. So I've always read a lot. And, and uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate in that in the wake of the success of Lord of the Rings, I I was able to parlay some of that good luck into founding Percival Press, as you said, in 2002. And that's, I love that. I love, um, I suppose it's the same way Matt feels as a director. He gets a lot of pleasure out of enabling, encouraging, you know, others to do a good job under him as a director. He did that for us and, and as an editor of books and CDs and some DVDs as well. I've enjoyed helping people get their vision across the, as best they like, which entails listening to them, appreciating their work, and trying to find the, from from the content of the books to the design of them and all that. I, I enjoy that process. It's a lot easier sometimes, like it's easier to give advice to a friend if they're in a quandary, you know, in terms of their personal relationships or life choices and uh, professional choices. It's easier sometimes to advise someone else as to what they might consider doing, a friend, than to make up your own mind what you should do sometimes. So so I, I enjoy that, that aspect of editing, and I, I've always liked books. And I'm someone who <clears throat> enjoys the written word. I like to send postcards and letters, and I like to read real books. I like the smell of them. I like I enjoy that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with and we've done some of that with Percival Press, you know, other platforms, digital platforms for, for books and all that. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something about the tactile experience of opening a book and reading it page to page. Now, I've heard you talk about uh, before about your admiration for artists who are also social activists like Paul Robeson. And you've also mm-hmm. published books that sort of dealt with uh, the effect of war and other mm-hmm. kinds of social upheavals. Of mm-hmm. course, we're going through a difficult time right now in the U.S. Yeah, with police brutality. Are you planning on any kind of poetry, any kind of books to sort of grapple with some of the things we're going through right now as a country? Um, well, we did just republish. Unfortunately, it's still very um, of our time, very current, very apropos. It's a book that we put out in 2003 just as as the U.S. and its allies were <clears throat> were invading um, uh, in violation of international law, Iraq, in March of 2003. There's a book called Twilight of Empire, Responses to Occupation. It was a series of essays and, uh, you know, stories, literature, you know, poems, all kinds of stuff by Iraqis, by Americans and others at that time, and we just put it out with a new foreword by Dennis Kucinich. The original one had a foreword by Howard Zinn and others, and we put that out. Um, I also think, actually, that Captain Fantastic, uh, one of its strengths is, is, is that it's not an ideological movie. It's not a political movie. 
although in the, in the first 10, 15 minutes, you might think, oh, I see what this is going to be. It's these crazy people who live in the woods, some kind of liberal, utopian, uh, you know, Walden-like fantasy or something, or Thoreau or something. And uh, and then and they're going to be up against conservative foes and obstacles, and that's going to be the story. And after a little bit, you realize, oh, it's not that at all. It's a much more balanced, much more nuanced kind of story that that begs more questions than it answers. It's a thought, thought-provoking and uh, uh, you know, very, very layered story in that sense. But it does make me think about our times, about what you're talking about, that society, particularly in the United States right now, is very polarized, you know, and I don't think it's just the fact that we have this endless presidential campaign where all, all kinds of horrible things have been said and the media feeds that and they want the reaction from so-and-so and, you know, it's not, that doesn't come out of nowhere. It's a, I think it echoes a very real problem that we have in this country as citizens to communicate, you know. I don't, I don't remember it being this polarized since, you know, since the 70s, really. Um, even though there's there have been other periods in the 90s, you know, cultural wars or so forth, you know, that kind of thing. I think now it's we're in a, a period of polarization where people are each in their camps based on race or socioeconomic uh, standing, uh, religion, regional differences, what have you. And I, and I think that this movie in some way touches on that and speaks to the importance of communicating, of listening, of in the end, being flexible and realizing that a, fam- a family unit or a community or an entire nation, just a, uh, you know, a democracy, is a is a is a process, a continual process of renewal and rebalancing, and that's what you see happening in the family and Captain Fantastic. It, in the end, it's about learning how to communicate better, how to make some adjustments that you know you, you can't expect to have it all your way and and function as a greater community, function as a democracy. Uh, and I think if we expect our politicians to have a, a more civil and productive discourse or any kind of discourse, we have to do that ourselves to start with. And the movie, while not ideological anyway, does does make me think of that. I think it's very much a movie of its time. It's not only, you know, a little movie that could as, as, a, as a piece of art or as a movie story. I think it's actually culturally... It has its finger on on the pulse of what's what's going on right now. It wasn't the intention, I don't think, but it seems to have done that, in my opinion. Now, um, also, your character in this film lives off the grid, as we said before. I've noticed that you're kind of off the social media grid in that you don't tweet. I don't think you have an Instagram page of any sort. No, uh, I don't have any of those things. You're not on Facebook. Well, why is that? I know some some Hollywood actors make that choice. They're not on social media at all. Others are very active. Why have you made the choice to be off the social media grid? I never considered group? it. I mean, it never, I just personally haven't been tempted by it. I find that there's only so many hours in the day. First of all, as an actor, even though I don't work as often as other actors, I get, I've had enough attention to last me several lifetimes already. I don't crave more attention, more media exposure. Um, I have. I do the best I can to communicate with and actually see physically my family and my friends, you know, the best I can. And I, I struggle with doing enough as far as <laughs> maintaining communication. I don't have any need to get more attention or to add, you know, hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of people that I then have to communicate with. There's only so many hours in the day, and I, I already 
you know, just not just in terms of people, but my work as an editor at Percival Press, and other interests I have as a photographer, as a writer, and things. You know, they take take up my time. I I couldn't imagine adding that. It seems like it would be a huge burden. So I understand that people like to do it, and it can be an effective self-promotion uh, uh, approach, and also promote the projects you're in, and maybe promote people you admire. I understand all that, and I think it's great. I just I don't know. I've never been tempted. And finally, your character in the film um, celebrates Noam Chomsky Day. Have you heard from Noam Chomsky? Got any feedback? I wonder what he thinks of the reference to him in this movie. I haven't heard from him. I think that uh, Matt Ross, um, the director and the writer, I think that they, you know, they asked if it would be okay to mention him in the way he to, to reference him the way we do in the movie, and he said, "I don't care what you do, as long as if you quote me, just make sure it's accurate. That's all I care about." And he's not afraid to engage with anyone uh, on any level or to be quoted by anyone as long as it's accurate. So that's well, all I know. I, I imagine he'll he'll probably uh, get a chuckle out of watching the movie if he if he ends up seeing it. I hope he does. Well, the movie is Captain Fantastic. I've been talking to Viggo Mortensen. Thanks a lot for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much. For more podcasts, check us out at wsha.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at WSHA Podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.